This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Over the last few days, Congress has staged these dramatic readings of private communications from inside the Trump White House on January 6th, 2021. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. We are here to address... Liz Cheney, Republican from Wyoming, was the first to take the microphone on Monday. These text messages leave no doubt the White House knew exactly what was happening here at the Capitol. Most of us don't get the chance to muck around in the DMs of the politically connected. But what was clear this week is that members of the January 6th Select Committee, they do. Dozens of texts, including from Trump administration officials, urged immediate action by the president. Quote, POTUS has to come out firmly and tell the protesters to dissipate. Someone is going to get killed. So the interesting thing is that we really don't know a whole lot about what actually happened in the Oval Office, in the White House, during you know, those first few hours as the attack on the Capitol unfolded. Nicholas Wu has been reporting on these hearings for Politico. We know what didn't happen, right? We didn't hear that much from the president. We didn't see you know, a military response or anything like that. Um, and so this gives us some of the clearest picture we have yet on what they were talking about there and what sort of information they were getting. What was most surprising to you? Yeah, I mean, that just the, the panic um, that you could see uh, in these messages. He's got to condemn this shit ASAP. The Capitol Police tweet is not enough, Donald Trump Jr. texted. You have the president's own son, Donald Trump Jr., saying, you know, Trump has to condemn this, you know, there's an expletive there, ASAP. Indeed, according to the records, multiple Fox News hosts knew the president needed to act immediately. I mean, it goes to show quite how close a lot of these ties were between 
uh, you know, yes, these Fox hosts, uh, certain lawmakers that were frantically texting, saying like, you know, the president needs to stop this ASAP and, you know, relaying updates from what was going on there. He is destroying his legacy, Laura Ingram wrote. So whose phone were these texts from? They were from the phone of White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. As the panel members see it, all roads are really leading back to Mark Meadows. Today on the show, how this week, the spotlight came to shine so brightly on Mark Meadows, Trump's former chief of staff. He is refusing to testify in front of Congress, but his DMs are clear as day. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Before we get into what Mark Meadows' texts show, let's take a step back to summer of 2021. That's when the House of Representatives approved the creation of a select committee to investigate just what happened on January 6th in Washington, D.C. This committee is made up of nine members, mostly Democrats, though Republicans Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger have joined, too. They've gathered thousands of pages of documents, interviewed hundreds of witnesses. But this week's texts have been explosive because it's the first time the public has been able to see what members of Donald Trump's inner circle were thinking as the Capitol was under siege. Nicholas Wu says these are not going to be the last revelations you read about because this committee is working fast. What they're really pressing for is to release some kind of report and hold public hearings uh, sometime, maybe as early as the spring next year, um, to present their findings on you know, what happened on January 6th and to try to get as much of it out into the public eye as possible. The interesting thing here, though, is that Democrats are really running up against the clock um, with their work on this committee. Why? There's some expectation that the House of Representatives will flip next year. Uh, you know, this is kind of the way it goes, like, in the 2022 midterms, the, the president's uh, party usually loses a lot of seats in the House and in midterm years. And Republicans have made their feelings very clear about this committee for the most part and want to end its work. And so um, they're, they're trying to wrap things up before then. How did you know the committee was circling around former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows? Was it just a given? Yes. I mean, he's been in their sights for some time. He was he was one of the very first people that they subpoenaed along with you know, Steve Bannon, for example. And so, uh, you know, he, he, he's one of these senior Trump world figures who is kind of the big fish for the committee. But at least for now, um, the fact that the committee uh, and, and the House held him in contempt means that they're probably not going to get his testimony um, in the near future. Huh. Can you give me just like a brief biographical sketch of Meadows? Like he joined the White House in 2020, so he's kind of late to the White House party. But who was he as chief of staff? So Meadows as chief of staff, um, I mean, if, if anything, um, 
was someone who was a pretty close confidant to the president. I mean, like, uh, you know, as a lot of these um, messages and documents show, uh, he was someone who was trusted by a lot of people in Trump's orbit to uh, handle a lot of these streams of information. Uh, you know, he, he, he's, he's certainly a high-profile um, Trump world figure and, and, and someone who then becomes a pretty big target for the committee to go after just because he was in the room for so many of these big conversations um, leading up to January 6th and, uh, you know, in the months beforehand. I've always thought of Mark Meadows as kind of a chameleon. Like, I remember when President Trump was diagnosed with COVID, there was this kerfluffle over how serious the diagnosis was. And it was very clear that Mark Meadows was playing both sides of that story, publicly saying that the president was in great shape and reviewing documents and then privately off the record telling reporters like, listen, this is serious. And it was sort of hard to know, like, who's the real Mark Meadows here? Yeah. I mean, I remember there was a somewhat infamous incident where he's saying on, on, on camera that uh, you know, publicly that things were fine. And then, yes, uh, not realizing that he was still on camera telling a bunch of reporters that it was, it was quite the opposite. And, um, you know, with, with regards, though, to a lot of this, um, th- these messages that the select panel is releasing. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, there is there is certainly some el- like chameleon like element of his um, communications here. So one one um, email that the select committee had released over the weekend um, showed Meadows actually telling one of his associates that the National Guard, a day before January six, was on standby to protect quote pro Trump people. And, you know, that, that's kind of a startling revelation in and of itself. But, you know, what we don't know is, is the actual context of that, right? Like, is this Meadows kind of spitballing and trying to reassure someone? Was he actually talking to the National Guard? There's a whole lot about, that, about this that, you know, in, in isolation, yes, is kind of chameleon-like and, and could um, you know, represent all these different sides that he could be playing here. And, you know, without hearing from Meadows himself, you know, we don't get the full picture there. So this is why it's important for the committee to actually talk to this person, because the texts, it's hard to know what to make of them because they're all over the place and lacking context. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there was this other message that the committee put out where uh, Meadows uh, actually appears to have texted members of Congress to try to connect Trump himself with all these state lawmakers that were trying to overturn um, the election in their own state legislatures. And and. You know, like, okay, clearly we, we have Meadows serving as some sort of conduit here, but, you know, to what end? And it's not just texts, right? Like, didn't Meadows also turn over a PowerPoint presentation that was circulating around the White House? Correct. So there was there was a, a 30-something page PowerPoint presentation that was part of all these documents turned over um, by Meadows to the committee. Um, but again, this is one of those things where, you know, the provenance of it... Um, it seems a little unclear. There was some reporting that it kind of bubbled up through these, you know, more uh, conspiracy theory uh, quarters of, of the world and then, you know, got sent to Meadows. And it, it doesn't seem like Meadows actually did anything with it, right? This was just one of these, you know, uh, one analogy would be like, you know, as, as um, thinking about all of the crazy things that fill your inbox every day, right? Like it, it you like know. Like it's spam? Yeah, spam almost. Like, you know, it, it's one of those things that you might be sent. And yes, it, it, it certainly says something about the situation. If, if some 
person thought that they could send this to Meadows, it, it, it doesn't quite seem like it's as severe as, you know, that PowerPoint has been has been played up on some parts of Twitter, right? Well, this spam does include the option of declaring a national security emergency and seizing paper ballots on January 6th. Sure. Yeah. And, and we saw all of these sorts of conspiracy theory things floating around around those weeks. I mean, you know, you'll remember there was that infamous picture of, um, you know, Mike Wendell, the MyPillow guy, walking into the Oval Office with that binder um, that a photographer uh, got a picture of where it was like, you know, step one, declare martial law. Right. <laughs> like, right. Um, it adds to the overall portrait of all of this stuff that was swirling around. Um, and it's certainly interesting. But um, I, I personally think the more the more interesting revelations in a lot of these documents, yeah, are all of these communications with lawmakers. Yeah. So Meadows has turned over documents, text messages. And what seems unclear right now is that the select committee is saying he had also agreed to testify, but then he pulled out. Meadows, or his lawyer, is saying that's not the case and I've never agreed to testify. What is your take on this back and forth? So there are some weird semantics going on there over whether you're coming in to testify or whether you're coming in for an interview with the committee. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's... Oh, really yeah. slicing it thin here. Really, really slicing it thin. Meadows aside, was always talking about how, you know, it was a voluntary interview that they wanted to come in for. It wasn't a deposition under the subpoena, right? And, and they would voluntarily come in to talk about non-privileged things and things that they had agreed to talk about. Is the difference being under oath or not? Yeah, to a certain degree. And, you know, the committee you know, never really agreed to that. They made it pretty clear that they wanted to ask about things that um, Meadows' side thought would be privileged. And so, uh, you know, we had this super tentative handshake agreement from both sides uh, a few weeks ago that then, yeah, totally collapsed a couple weeks ago and then kicked off this whole uh, uh, motion to eventually hold Meadows in contempt. So basically, Meadows seems to be saying... I'd agreed to talk, but I don't want to open up the possibility that maybe I lie under oath. So I don't want it to be real testimony. Uh, to a certain degree. I think the, the bigger issue is that Meadows wanted to circumscribe what he could talk about, right? Like He wanted to set the terms. Right. He wanted to set the terms and say, you know, certain topics that, are, that could be related to my conversations with the White House are going to be off limits. Now, the committee, you know, from the beginning, one, didn't recognize any of his claims of privilege. And two, said that, like, you know, Meadows, at the same time, he was trying to set these terms for what he was going to say to the committee, right, was also going around and uh, publishing his book on his time as the chief of staff. And, you know, as, as committee members that I had talked to saw it, like, that was a totally contradictory point. How could you go and say you can't talk to the committee about your time in the White House while at the same time you have a book where you're doing exactly that? There's something else in this statement from Meadows' lawyer that I thought was interesting. The lawyer is claiming that Mark Meadows, as a witness, he is not licensed to waive executive privilege claimed by the former president. What does that mean? That doesn't seem to be true. Well, I think this this was part of Meadows's 
position or Meadows is attorney's position rather all along, right? Like they, you know, from the beginning have said that the subpoena couldn't necessarily be upheld in the first place because you know, he was this former official to the president and would be shielded by all of this privilege and uh, yes, could not waive it because Trump had asserted uh, executive privilege. You know, <laughs> there's the bigger legal question of whether a former president himself can actually assert executive privilege. And so it, it gets into a lot of relatively uncharted legal territory. There just hasn't been um, that many situations like this before. These texts getting read into the record, it seems to me like it's kind of a pressure campaign by the select committee, like to show people Meadows clearly knows something that's in our interest. And and this is why we want to compel him to testify. Is that how you see it, too? That's definitely part of it. I mean, by by releasing these messages, they're they're just I mean, at, at this point, any a lot of hope of actually getting us testimony has collapsed, right? So now they're using these texts and reading them into the public record of a way of 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 laying out their case for you know here's what we have right now and and look we could have even more if Meadows actually came in to talk to us but in the meantime you yes you have texts that are you know rather embarrassing to um, these you know for example those those Fox hosts or Donald Trump Jr. or you know if and when the names of those members of Congress who are texting Meadows come out to them as well. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. The text messages that came out this week from the select committee, they aren't just from January 6th. There are messages from months beforehand showing the way members of Congress, so far unidentified, strategized with Trump's chief of staff. These Congress people... They send Mark Meadows ideas for how to make the election results more favorable for Trump. And these texts show some of these members were trying to make sure their communications were not being traced. One representative simply tells Meadows to check his signal, the encrypted messaging app, which the select committee can't access at all. Yeah, I wonder if you've had a chance to talk to members of Congress 
about their reactions to the information the committee has been sharing. Because as you've said, there's this funny two-step going on where we know Donald Trump Jr. is saying some things. We know, you know, these Fox hosts are saying some things. But so far, these Congress members seem to be demurring about their fellow members and what they were saying to Mark Meadows, which is kind of interesting. Like, it's... (laughs) It's telling their fellow members, like, we know what you did last summer, only it's January 6th. Leader McConnell actually got asked about this yesterday and, and said that basically that he wanted, um, that he was interested in seeing how things uh, play out with this. You know, he said that he wasn't in contact with Mark Meadows that day and, and you know, thought it was interesting to know who actually was talking with Meadows and other White House officials as they, as they were pleading for Trump to speak out against the attack. Do we know anything about who these members are? who were in communication with Meadows or just just nothing? We don't as of yet. I mean, they're, you know, based on the, the the content of the messages and what was being said publicly by some members at that time about a lot of these uh, election conspiracy theories, you might be able to make some inferred guesses, but, you know, it's not more than that at this point. But for, for their part, the committee has made clear that they actually do intend to release the identities of some of these people soon. Okay, so let's talk about what happens now. The House referred this contempt charge against Mark Meadows to the Department of Justice. So what are the next steps? Well, now we just kind of have to wait and see what happens. So um, Meadows is the second person after Steve Bannon that the full House has held in contempt as part of this uh, investigation. And Bannon was indicted by the Justice Department just a few weeks after um, for contempt of Congress. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what exactly they decide to do with Meadows, because you know, while yes, there there are all of these questions about privilege and the like, um, Bannon was a little bit of an outlier in in in, in how these uh, uh, cases work. Bannon, you know, had refused to come in at all with the committee. He did not turn over any documents. He did not come in for a deposition. He did not even come in to assert his Fifth Amendment rights or um, to assert privilege. Meadows, on the other hand, had talked with the committee through his lawyer. He had, in an attempt to avoid contempt, turned over these thousands of pages of emails and, and documents and the like. And as we see now, that sort of blew back a little bit on him. So this this will definitely be a harder charging decision um, for the Justice Department. Because he gets points for participation? Right. Like, obviously, there's no such thing as, like, partial credit for, you know, <laughs> subpoena compliance. But at the same time, like, you know, this this will be part and parcel of the actual um, charging decision that is eventually made. I'm glad you brought up the fact that Steve Bannon's approach was so, so different because Bannon, he seemed almost gleeful about this contempt charge. Like he showed up for court talking about his podcast. Like he almost just seemed happy to be there. And Meadows seems really different to me in that that chameleon-ness comes through where he's shared some documents, he's shared some texts, not everything. I don't understand how that helps him, though. Like, it doesn't seem like he's picked a lane. Like, I want to be anti-January 6th Select Committee or pro-it. And I don't know if you can do that. Yes. I mean, it, it, it's definitely a tricky balancing act for Meadows, especially as someone who is so close to all of these Trump world figures. But the tricky thing with Meadows, too, is that there, there had been all of this um, reported angst in Trump world around um, these revelations in his book. And then, 
Now, a few days later, we see him drop this uh, handshake agreement with the select committee, and then um, they move forward with contempt. And so it goes back to what we mentioned a little bit earlier, right? This this whole chameleon-esque element of Meadows, you know, how exactly he's trying to make it through this and, and while exactly trying to satisfy um, all sides. For the committee, is holding Meadows in contempt sort of like putting a head on a pike and basically saying, we will do this if you refuse to cooperate with us. Like they they must have tons of other witnesses who they're going through a similar process with. Exactly. The thing to remember about these sorts of criminal contempt of Congress cases is that the goal by members of Congress in doing this is not to put people in jail like tomorrow, right? The goal is to show that, yes, like this is what happens to you if you don't comply. Can Mark Meadows change course here? Like, could he wake up tomorrow and just say, you know what? I'd like to cooperate. (laughs) Or there no backseas here. You know, yeah, there's, it's not, he can't like, you know, control Z, right? And and undo. But um, (laughs) that's something that the committee is really hopeful for that, yeah, he'll he'll wake up and and say that I have changed my mind. The contempt decision has has, um, made me change course. But that doesn't look like it'll be the case. In various TV appearances through the week, he has talked up um, some of his opposition to the select committee and said that they're out to get Trump and and the like. And so um, that doesn't sound like someone who is going to change his mind here. Nicholas Wu, thank you so much for all your reporting on this. And thank you so much for having me. Nicholas Wu covers Congress for Politico. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Daniel Hewitt, Elena Schwartz, Carmel Del Shad, and Mary Wilson. We are led by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. Go find me on Twitter. Say hello. I'm at Mary's desk. In the meantime, you're going to want to stay tuned to this feed because tomorrow our Friday show will be here. That's What Next TBD with Lizzie O'Leary. You're not going to want to miss it. But then I'll catch you bright and early on Monday. Talk then. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.